Antia Indira Ong is a former nominated member of Parliament of Singapore, a full-time entrepreneur and social advocate. She's the founder of numerous social organizations, including the Hush Tea Bar, A Good Space Singapore, and bringing innovative, inclusive, and conducive experiments in change-making. While having a tremendously influential career as a parliamentarian and a full-time change-maker, she's also a board member and CEO. What strikes me, though, the most about Anthea's life is the path and how she's chosen to be seamlessly authentic, bridging her cathartic self-discovery and brought light to the most pressing need for mental health shifting the design to elevate human experiences. It's such an honor to have you on the show. Anthea, how are you and what's your current alignment like? Thank you, Mukul. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. Also such an honor and pleasure to be here too. Um, where am I right now? I am feeling immensely grateful and joyful um, to be actually part of your show, obviously. Um, but also, I think in the biggest scheme of things, um, very, yeah, very much at peace with um, where I am, both Definitely. physically on my, you know, favorite couch, but also where I am in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I'm sure you love that couch a lot. You've been you've been talking about it, so I'm glad that you're at a space that you really like, and uh, we're finally having a sit down conversation. I, as yes. I mentioned, I couldn't sleep last night. I had a conversation last week uh, with Anthea for our audience, and uh, it was just so insightful just to hear someone living the path and actually opening journey simply by being themselves. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. I, mm, I, I'm, I'm looking so forward to it. <laughs> Likewise. So to start with, I, I want to know that your life has been so cathartic and you've lived so many different lives and phases and that's been so incredibly mm. um, uh, inspiring. But at the same time, mm. I've seen the challenges that you faced through. How did it all start? Like, how did, how did Anthea become what she is? What was the frontier moment that inspired this grand shift of things and led you to this breakthrough of self-discovery? Mm. You know, I sometimes wonder whether that, that question would ever get a short answer. Feel <laughs> <laughs> um, free to go as long. Oh, that is really, really kind of you. I think, I think um, you know, even going back to your earlier question about where's my current alignment, um, immediately got me to think about how did I land here, you know? Um, mm. And I was actually just trying to be as succinct but really, it doesn't, it doesn't give the layers um, and the trajectory that I've, I've come through. I think where I sit now, um, you know, is, is a full-time human and part-time everything else. I mean, you were very kind with your introduction of me, um, you know, sort of sharing with the listeners the different hats I wear. And I'm often also called a Met Hatter um, because of that. But I think, um, you know, it's, it's such a, a rich and amazing trajectory that I've come through in the last 53 years um, since the day I was born. But if I were to, if I were to really pinpoint um, that frontier moment, as you put it, which shifted um, fundamentally for me to say what I just said, that I'm actually a full-time human and part-time everything else, would be about 16 years ago. Um, you know, that was, that was the year 
I was still married, but I was, I was thrown into what I now call a colossal collapse of a broken heart, a broken marriage, um, which, which, you know, had a broken business as, um, as collateral damage. Um, and then that also led to a broken bank account, which actually left me with only $16. Um, mm. and, I, and I think why was that a frontier moment? I was broken into so many million pieces um, in a, such a visceral way. I mean, my heart was broken in, in a, into a million pieces by by a man I loved so deeply. Um, and I found that my ex-husband was cheating on me. So that was the first, um, the first source of crack. And I, and I think, you know, what then got me to was this complete barrenness, complete state of despair and desperation. And I'm actually sitting, you know, um, where my couch is actually the spot, Mukul, where I laid down one night um, after realizing that I only had $16 left in the bank. Um, mm. I, I thought about the distance between my windows and, and the ground, 18 floors down. And I think that really push open, cracked open, you know, that um, first an abyss because I was really in a deep, dark place and I was obviously spiraling downwards um, to have ideated, you know, on ending it all. But almost as if that was, that was the last frontier of me coming to who I really am or was at that time, but am because of this massive brokenness that got me to have to face myself, um, face who I am. And I think in that brokenness was when I discovered that what I had lost was not me. Mm. And that what I still have, or what I will always have, um, in fact, turned out to be what saved me from acting on that thought, on that contemplation, on the ideation of ending it all. Um, I'm rambling a little bit here, but I, yeah, it's it's really quite um, quite surreal that you know I did not think. I'm sitting at the at the same spot <laughs> until until right now as I'm sharing with you mm. where it all happened. So I think that really, you know, in the most excruciating way, with all the pain and suffering, you know, strangely took me to a place so deep into the core of my humanness um, that that's made me say the the phrase that I'm a full-time human and part-time everything else I think 
um, it's it, it was the first time. I mean, of course, I did not become better immediately um, the next day, but I think that that was the moment that um, that got me on this path, on this journey of mm. um, personal discovery, um, that self realization, that deep, deep knowing of why I'm here, uh, and mm. I'm actually here to be a human. And, and in, in, in that knowledge and validation of my existence, then spring all these expressions of my uh, humanness, right? The, the, the various projects that you talk about and the different roles that I've played, whether in parliament or Hashiba and, and the different projects. But I, I, I think that would be, that would be the, the frontier moment, um, Mukul. Sorry, tell me if I'm just completely not making sense. <laughs> I got into a little bit of that. Ooh, this is very strange. I'm sitting in the same spot. So I'm actually feeling a bit of chills as I'm talking to you. Sorry. Well, first of all, Anthea, I've loved everything you've done. I've researched enough about your work and the amount of and the number of quantitative and qualitative works that you've done. And I knew there was, there was some part of you that wanted that sense of love that you give to others uh, through various acts. And I feel that uh, it's such a courageous act that you opened up your vulnerability and fragility and shared this, this cathartic moment of your life. And, uh, and I'm just so proud of you for coming this far, for, for, for making such a difference for Thank yourself you. and others. And uh, you're, you're truly Thank heroic. You. Thank you. No, thank you. And I, and I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's so sweet and kind of you. To acknowledge that because as much as it's been 16 years and and strangely I've obviously talked about this um, you know both in the book that I that I published right uh, 50 shades of love but also in some of my um, public speaking engagements but I guess I've never really talked about it in the same spot if you know what I mean um, mm -hmm. yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah, so so yeah, I'm 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 actually kind of in a in a very interesting energetic space right now. <laughs> Honestly, I wish more and more of this interesting energetic space that you're in right now because I think you've done so much and you've changed yes. so much of that pain into some beautiful containers for others to actually be empowered. So I just wish that you keep creating more of this fire that you have inside so that there's more difference in the world that we live in. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that, McCall. I think, I think you know, when I talked about the, the million cracks um, that my heart was feeling, um, you know, I, I, I really do believe this, um, you know, and now as I'm sort of sitting here, I'm probably also um, sort of taking in the energies of that moment 16 years ago. I'm now remembering how from... First, a very, very dark place um, of kind of a broken tape recorder that I've lost is, you know, I'm a wife no more, I'm a CEO no more, I'm a, you know, all of that no more. Um, to, to then remembering um, who I am, who I still, what I still have, uh, and bring me back to that humanness that, that really has no um, material... Um, definitions to it, right? Um, at, 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 the, at, the, 
at the most raw form um, that it takes. And and I remember so strangely that mm. after coming out of that moment, I felt like, you know, I had a million cracks to my heart because my heart was really hurting, almost physically. And 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 then when this shift happened, it was almost as if the heart needed those million cracks for the light to to be let in. You know what I mean? Like like without without those cracks, well, I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting it mm. <laughs> at all that we all need to go through that. <laughs> yeah, not at all, not at all. <laughs> but I'm just saying that that might just be for sure. Yeah, why I felt like you know so much of the light came through that I had this almost that epiphany and that you know that 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 push and that burst of realization. Um, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, though. Even even sharing this, I'm still feeling, you know, those energies of um, emotions of pain and desperation and despair. Um, and and it it still is right because yeah because mm-hmm. because we're still conditioned that sharing this vulnerability um, can be quite embarrassing, yeah. right? So. That there's still remnants, I think, of those uh, those emotions. Well, I personally believe that there's no way to heal without the feel. <laughs> you know, like you have to kind of feel it all, and uh, the best way to feel that is to actually reclaim the narrative by sharing mm. it with others. And doing this on mm. this podcast actually will empower more people to really come up with exactly. their fragile, their real, their child, their vulnerable side, and be honest. Um, to yourself first so and to others too because that's so hard but talking about honesty uh, I've seen you talk uh, in varieties and various I've heard your podcast and I think that there is always <laughs> the sense of generative rebellion in your voice and tonalities and uh, conversations that you do uh, you kind of spin the conversation beautifully mm. around a very uh, important subject and you generatively mm. and rebelliously kind mm. of answer it too. So mm. I want to hear a little bit more about that side of you. Where did that generative rebellion come from? I love, I love the use of the, you know, the phrase generative rebellion, right? Um, I think there's a tendency for us to be sort of compliant, um, to fit in, to, to not sort of cause trouble, um, because all of this, you know, with, with the, the way we've been conditioned, um, the way we've been brought up, the way we've been educated, um, the kind of experiences that we've had, always seem to take us on the margins, right, of the group, the community that we're in. And I think, um, so there's always a tendency to associate the word rebellion with um, something bad, that, you know, you're a troublemaker, um, and you are yeah. causing harm or inflicting suffering. Um, so, so I think um, prefacing it, the word with generative um, gives it a whole, you know, new sort of feel and and um, an energy to it. Um, and I think, you know, the 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 act of resistance, the the act of rebellion. Um, can come from so many different places, right? Um, some rebellions and some resistances come from a place of anger, um, aggression, um, uh, power, 
um, and, and all. I think for me, my rebellion really comes from, uh, first of all, the pain and the brokenness um, mm. and, and, you know, having such an amazing opportunity to be able to transform that pain into purpose into something that um, helps me realize who I am and in that give of myself to others to do give of myself to others to do the same um, for them um, you know where does this come from you're right I think because we're going against the grain of what society generally generally expects of us uh, which is obviously to be almost homogeneous and compliant and, um, yeah, to toe the line, right? To toe, toe the line that everyone um, it's, it's on. I think this is part of the discovery, Mukul, that I, I also had, um, you know, with the colossal collapse, that, you know, it didn't start just then. I mean, that was a frontier moment, but, it actually started from the day I was born. Um, so in, in all that healing and, and um, inner work and the personal discovery that I took um, as a journey after the collapse, I started connecting the dots. Um, all the way back to the moment I was born, I was born in a different time, a different Singapore, to an illustrious land-owning Chinese family, um, of a firstborn, a first son, uh, my dad, my, my good old papa. And, um, and so my sister was, was the first grandchild, so she was, she was obviously very much celebrated, um, her birth. Uh, when I appeared, um, there was obviously, um, that, was, that was kind of frowned upon, um, you know, that, oh, another girl. And so my name, my given name, my Chinese name still holds that resistance as well as perhaps an aspiration, depending on how you see it. And so my Chinese name, Tang, T-H-E-N-G, actually means stop um, in Chinese, in Hokkien, the dialect Hokkien. And so, so from the moment I was born, Mukul, I was... Um, I was stopped. <laughs> and so, you know, so I, I learned, I think that courage became almost associated with my existence, right? I powered ahead. Hmm. And interestingly, I think I became unstoppable. <laughs> oh, you but, are um, unstoppable, Anthea. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I, you know, and I think carrying that name still uh, in, my, in my, you know, my birth cert and my identity card, um, yeah, it reminds me all the time that, that, you know, for no reason or no fault of mine, I was not welcome. No fault of any one of my loved ones either, right? This just shows the social um, narrative of that time. But I think that was obviously etched deep into my consciousness. Um, and I, I, I carry it, right? So I think... You know, I'm almost moment to moment, I'm rebelling because <laughs> I was not stopped. I, I continue to live. I continue to survive I, and thrive. Um, so that's, that's, I think, that courage that you were 
uh, asking me about. Um, you know, at one level, it's probably unconscious, um, but but a very human um, equality that had come about because of what I was faced with the moment I came into this world. Um, the other is um, was actually something that happened shortly after. So I, I was also born with an eye defect. Mukul. Um, mm-hmm. So other than not sort of being welcomed because of my gender, I was also um, judged with concern as being developmentally challenged. So I was also given the name of slow. Well, in, 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 the, in the local language, but um, it mm. means slow. Or, you know, some people might even say it meant uh, retarded. Um, mm. So again, right, it is, it is that um, realization at about, you know, four or five asking my older sister why she was called her name, but mm-hmm. I was called either the name, which means stop, the given name, and then also this pet name that means slow. Um, yeah, so I, I guess in a, in a lot of ways, Mukul, from, from way back, I was already having to deal with uh, rebelling, to be heard, to be seen, to not be pushed to the margin. And, and you know, I was called names in the family, but I was called worse names, um, you know, in school, right? Because kids are kids. <laughs> and I was called ugly and monster, uh, alien, because of the way I look. Again, no fault of mine. So I, I, think, I think there's always been that innate sense of rebellion. But... Thankfully, and I, I, I put it down to a very loving family and nurturing environment that was brought up in, that that rebellion, that very innate, um, unconscious, subconscious rebellion against being repressed or, or marginalized um, also created such a lot of empathy and um, compassion. Um, mm-hmm. That's also innate because I could relate almost viscerally um, to people who are marginalized. Yeah. I feel like it's almost as if um, the bare minimum expectation, I would say, a human right to be included is, yeah. uh, I, I would call it a human right, is what you felt like. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's also a have. longing, right? It's such a, it's such a human longing to want to be accepted and to be part of. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, so I think that is that natural, innate, um, maybe even primal sense of rebellion to want to be, um, you know, accepted and belong. Um, and then that's also obviously over time that very clear um, consciousness that I, uh, as you put it, the right um, to belong, mm-hmm. to be included, you know, uh, once I, of course, make better sense of the world and I think um, so so what what would maybe have been seen as a curse or curses um, actually turn out to be gifts right now that I look back um, that they were gifts because they they allowed me to not feel entitled to this beautiful existence that I'm given 
um, the opportunities that I have that I um, you know make you good use of um, and and I think it, it continued to put me um, in that place of empathy which I'm deeply deeply grateful for having experienced that um, you know that sense of um, exclusion and marginalization um, mm. especially within an environment that you are supposed to feel safe right the yeah. family environment yeah. or the you know the school environment or in the play- playground <laughs> yeah so I think that, that probably mean- built the courage muscle and I do think courage by the way is a muscle um, so the more we flex it <laughs> um, the stronger it gets um, yeah and then I love of- that take yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I think that but came from there. And, um, but of course, I got carried away. You know, I, I, I think it was, it was from these um, experiences as a child um, and through the formative years. I remember feeling so, so unwanted, Mukul, um, as a teenager. And no boys wanted to um, ask me out for a date, right? Um, because of the way I look. Uh, but they were always happy to hang out with me because I was a smart kid and, you know, um, and, and all of that. So, and I remember that. Um, and I think that that um, also builds a certain strength um, in, and discipline too, um, you know, and, and maybe also <laughs> some, some um, conditioning uh, in knowing what gets you accepted, right? That, oh, if, if your mm. looks are not going to get you to be, to be wanted, uh, to be desired, then, um, then maybe, you know, something else would, right? I mean, you're talking about, you know, a young Anthea probably trying to make sense of all of this. Um, and so as I look back, connecting the dots and, and you know, really being very kind and tender to both my inner child, but also, you know, really having that conversation with the young Anthea. Um, that, that's where I built also my, my strengths of being driven, being determined, very self-motivated. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and also really disciplined. Um, mm. You know, but having all of these rebellious streaks as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it comes sure. from that. I yeah, think it's almost as if you took like this the inclusion that was denied to you. You mm. channelize that as an inspiration to not for others to not be denied, and kind yes. of put that energy into various compartments and umbrellas that could that could open space and conversation and dialogue to allow such things and such to allow yourself to be seen and through you others to be seen. And that's, that's commendable. That's, I, I love how you, how you just kind of channelized it to do your own life's trajectory and mission and purpose. Thank so you. that's kudos on that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, and I think in some ways that's, that's why some people will look at what I've kind of been involved with and have had the fortune to have initiated in terms of projects and initiatives. Um, to think that, oh, they're all kind of disparate, but actually they're not, right? Every single one mm. of the roles I've played and, I, um, and the projects I've initiated, um, particularly, obviously, in the last 16 years, 
um, mm. because the last 16 years have been a lot of conscious, um, intentional living, um, have been, these projects, these initiatives are all and roles that I play, including being in parliament, are expressions of my gratitude. Um, mm. But at the same time, really... Um, really that externalization of that transformation of, you know, all that I've experienced into that purpose that I'm here to fulfill, right? Which is, as you said, it's, it's about the inclusion. So it, inclusion cuts across all the different projects and roles, even if they seem disparate at first glance. Um, mm-hmm. Empowerment, especially, right? So it's, it goes beyond just inclusion, but it actually talks about empowerment, um, that that I think that that um, that right and that um, the ability and the opportunity to be the best human version that we can be um, is what you know I am so called to that yeah that yeah. that this is this is this is where I live right this is my current amazing. Um, alignment and purpose. And Theo, your stories are giving me goosebumps. Like literally, um, almost everything you're talking about and how you talk about your journey as a person, as a human, uh, beyond being a CEO, beyond being a change maker, beyond wearing the numerous hats that you've worn. But just your journey as a human is what's what's most interesting for me because I feel like you've been you've been tapping this human energy into every hat that you've worn. Um, but as we talk about this and as we talk about all these stories, I realized that it's a lot of heavy lifting job that you've done, like just making the life that you've made uh, for yourself and others. I think mm. that it's a lot of heavy lifting work that you have done. How does Anthea find her personal harmony? Like how does she decompress? How does she really go back home to and feel safe, feel sane, feel good, feel valuable? How do you do that? Where do you find your inner harmony? That's a, that's a very important question um, and a very important reflection that I encourage every one of us to, um, to do, actually, to give ourselves space to ponder. I, I think there's no way we can live our life purpose um, and, and showing up completely to realize that potential that we have in us, which is unique, but there's also some commonalities um, without, without self-compassion. Um, and, I, and I think the same social, um, or rather the same mission-driven sense that we show up in the world must be the same way we treat ourselves as a mission, as a social mission, right? Um, so I think, and I obviously, I mean, now that I've shared, you know, my, my um, personal story so openly, um, I mean, that is for me just non-negotiable because I have, Mukul, really at all levels been completely broken, <laughs> right? And mm. so... Um, so all that time, all that care, all that love, all the kindness, um, tenderness that I had to summon and master to patch myself back um, piece by piece 
over the last 16 years. Um, it, it's not something that I will stop doing because <laughs> the healing never ends. Um, as I shared with you, as I patch back the pieces that were recent, um, you know, I went deeper to go even further back to think about my childhood, right? And how I was called names. So, so I guess that that healing process um, is, is always going on because we are a cosmos within us to discover, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think... Um, I think that's where I get my balance. So the, the further out I, I explore and give of myself um, and the more people and lives I'm fortunate enough and privileged enough to be able to support and help to um, realize their potential and help them thrive, the deeper I must go into myself. And, and I and I think that's the that's the balance, right? That's the that's kind of the integration that I have to do um, to get that harmony with this generative rebellion that we're talking about. Because um, otherwise, I do think if I do not have that um, constant curiosity with myself, the same way I have the curiosity with the world, um, if I don't have that same sense of wanting to serve myself as um, a mission in my life, the more the, the same way I want to serve all of these courses um, in the most mission-driven way, then I'm going to come from a place of ego, um, um, needing ba- validation, um, what else, power. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll become, I, I could very easily be doing all of this to serve a more um, uh, a less I think a less um, a less worthy purpose (laughs) it would come from a place of me still needing to be validated I'm still needing mm. to uh, be accepted, right? Um, and so a lot mm. of these things that you know I do may come from that place unless I actually balance it, harmonize it with going deeper into myself. Um, yeah, so that's, that's this dance that I'm doing. The further out I go, the deeper in I go. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes total sense. I love how you managed to add a sense of poetry to almost every single aspect of your life. But talk about practical right. ways, considering that the world has gone through so many different, uh, right. I don't know, so many different emotions and moods uh, in the last two and a half yeah. plus years. Yeah. Um, yes. Is there any like practical rituals that Absolutely. you do or you recommend others to actually take through that really kind totally. of like let go of a lot of bad energy and invite sure. some very sure. good, valuable energy in your life? Yeah. So at the most basic, at the most basic, um, you know, I think I, I would say that my daily meditation in the morning, um, at dawn with sunrise and, uh, you know, the first 
songs of the birds um, is non-negotiable. I think that allows me to, um, you know, to, to come back to myself in that, in that sort of the wholeness of how I'm going to show up for the rest of the day. Um, I must also share maybe a little bit that before I jump out of bed, um, and I do dance out of bed actually every morning, um, I, I still myself to, to do a quiet prayer of sorts or intention, however we want to term it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that really helps me to have that daily ritual to center myself, right? In the sense that I would, I would say that I want um, to help you know, others as much as I can. I, I do not wish to harm others, um, you know, um, intentionally. And the third, the third ritual is I would, uh, I, I, you know, my words, I, I expire for my, my thoughts, my words and my deeds to be congruent, right? So these are the three, um, three kind of, you know, uh, prayers that I do in the morning before I get off bed. And then, you know, I have that, um, daily meditation. After the meditation, um, then I do my journaling um, because I think in, in meditation often, um, you know, as, as with all of us, there will be some things that come up that, that come from, you know, the day before or the week before, the month before that we start doing a bit of self-berating um, mm. and self-chiding, right? And so I would, I would then journal that. So to basically putting, you know, some of the, you know, not so positive experiences and then try to unpack that um, through my writing. I love words. So that helps. Um, yeah, that, I think that helps to give that, um, that, uh, what's the word? That I'm actually taking it away from me by putting it into words in the journal. So those, those three things that I've just mentioned, I do not skip. <laughs> uh, and then there are obviously the, the others, right? My yoga practice, um, always very helpful, especially at the end of the day, I, I think. Because um, mm. you are using your physical body to bring everything together, you know, because our experiences, our emotions sit in our body. Whether we we know it or not, it seed they they seed in our body, in our physical body. And so when we actually, at the end of the day, um, do a, you know, do a a good um, kind practice of yoga, it's a great way to bring that balance back. Um, yeah, I hope that helps. Um, Wow, I am loving this conversation, Anthea. Thank you so much for sharing such important <laughs> toolkits. I'm sure people out there are literally taking out their notepads. I was doing that as you talked and kind of just like learning from so much wisdom of how to really take care of yourself while not being burnt out as a change maker. So thank you for that. And this brings us to the last question of the Possibility Podcast, where we actually invite change makers and the most important disruptors uh, to envision the world, to envision the planet, to envision humanity 100 years from now. So what are the possibilities, as per Anthea Ong, to see the world 100 years from now? Where will humanity take us? And how and who will we become um, 
what are the possibilities as per you? I want you to go as far as you can with your imagination. <laughs> it's such a great question, right? And I love this type of questions <laughs> because um, it, it then really, you know, stretches your imagination. Um, and in that can give us lots of hope. Uh, and I say can because obviously <laughs> exactly. it can also take us on a, on, on a path of bleakness. Um, so, so I think what comes up for me, um, and I was sharing with you that, um, you know, I wish I'd spent a bit more time um, pondering this, but I, I, I think what comes up for me as a first thought, um, Mukul, is that, you know, in 2121, I hope humanity is still around despite the 2050 prediction of the climate crisis that we are, and maybe not even the climate crisis we're looking at, you know, uh, complete doomsday, right, uh, of 2050. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that would be my first, because I'm going to put it out there. I think a lot of us may take that for granted, <laughs> right? And, and sometimes I think when we talked about saving the planet, we must, we must realize that the planet, Mother Earth will regenerate and it will be, she will always be around. That light she has, mm. you know, for billions of years. <laughs> um, so I think mm-hmm. we need to bring in some humility in this work that we, we need to do that is actually not saving Mother Earth or the planet. It's actually ourselves. And so I would want to put it out there that um, my first... Um, imagination uh, and the basis of this um, response to your question would be that I hope humanity is still around and will not suffer the same fate as the dinosaurs. <laughs> um, the next, I would, instead of focusing on just how I imagine, which I obviously in my mind is going, you know, um, berserk now seeing the visual picture of what planet would be, but I, I would like to once again just you know, touch on humanity, right? That in 2121, that we would, as a result of the pandemics that we have gone through, the climate crisis that we have to deal with, the catastrophes, the wars, the suffering, that we fundamentally change some of the ways we think make us better, as human beings, and that includes that we would have changed our education system to integrate um, empathy, compassion, mindfulness, training. Um, you know, all of that would become, you know, as common, as innate, as default as numeracy and literacy, right? Um, so that by the time we mm. get to 2121, Mukul, we, we are, as a human race and a species, we are operating at a, a new and higher human consciousness, right? That is very connected to our spirit. Um, and this reminds me of actually something that Gandhi said, um, that man as, let me just remember this, man as animal is violent, but as spirit is non-violent. So the moment mm. he awakens, he or she, they awaken to the spirit within, they cannot remain violent. And so I think wow. 
and obviously he's talking about this from the premise of ahimsa, right, which is uh, non-violence, and non-violence is to all sentient beings, including the planet. Um, and I think that that's what I see in twenty one twenty one that we will transform, we will develop, we will evolve, we will progress to this level of human consciousness. And because through these hundred years, we are progressively enlightening, and enlightening is a evolution, is a journey, it's not an overnight thing. None of us will be like um, Buddha who can do it, you know, um, within a short space of time. So I... I'm thinking as a as a species, we're gonna be enlightening through this hundred years, and in twenty twenty one twenty one, um, this is a an enlightened um, human humanity that that I'm seeing, and I'm you know I'm feeling and imagining, and I think um, this this human consciousness naturally and very easily allows us to be living intentionally, mindfully, moment to moment, um, having that compassion for self, others, and our ecology all the time. So that's what comes up for me immediately as you ask this question. But I also want to obviously say that as a result of that, in this hundred years of evolution that we are going into, in parallel, we know of the trajectory of technology, right? Which is also just as exciting to, I think, to align and complement this evolution of our human consciousness. While obviously there's always a risk um, that it will go the other way, but I would choose to say that, no, it's going to actually augment, support, um, align um, this evolution of consciousness that we have as as humanity and the technology would help us clearly um, start to be completely self-sustainable in communities with food right Um, completely allowing us to be inclusive whether it's in terms of employment opportunities because um, opportunities are now you know available around the world um there's, there's going to be, you know, e-citizenship. Um, there's going to be e-democracy and, and all of that, right? And all of this, I, I don't think is, is new. Um, but, but what I see as new is that it is actually coming to support this evolution to this new and higher human consciousness. Um, yeah, and at the country level... Um, I I have no doubt because there's already pressure starting Muku, uh, in terms of the well-being economy alliances, and I also raised this in Parliament. I'm I'm very confident that we will go from just looking at economic indicators um, of GDP to looking at social progress and well-being. Um, for us to to sort of you know understand growth. Um, in a sustainable way Um, because when you take in well-being and social progress, there's no way you can also, um, you know, not include planetary boundaries, right. Um, That we need to take care of. Um, Yeah. I, I am 
really excited uh, about 2121. <laughs> uh, I won't be around, <laughs> but you know, I am excited because I think all of us have the opportunity to be, I, I, I do see myself um, as one who plant seeds and, um, and also very, very happy to also be one who, um, you know, grow and plant these trees whose shade we never would be able to enjoy, but we know the shade will come for the future generations. So, so I think, yeah, with that, um, with that possibility of uh, a new earth with a new human and new humanity in 2121, we can start our work today, <laughs> planting those seeds. I'm actually excited about 2121. <laughs> the seeds have to be planted, and I think that I can't wait to be there. I mean, I won't be there, but I feel like humanity as such, it just seems, for me, it seems exciting because there's so many different conversations mm. that are being talked about. And I think we're finally heading towards the right direction. But on a policy level, do you feel that there is something that personally, as you, do you think that there are certain shifts of policy that you would like the world to stay their direction or their compass towards a direction? Is there something personally on a policy level that you'd like to shift? Yeah, absolutely. We need to shift um, governance, um, you know, almost completely premised on economics <laughs> um, to mm. include, you know, equal doses of social sciences, right? Um and I, and I think that's, um, that's what's been horribly missing. Um, we, we must, must be very, very mindful that the 2030 goals of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals um, you know, provide us with such a powerful platform in policymaking. I'm speaking now to all you know, policymakers out there. <laughs> and governments um, mm. to really take heed that this is not just one of, um, you know, taking off the box that I have met this SDG, right? And yes, meeting all 17 SDGs is a great start. But to then sort of internalize and completely transform the, the conventional ways of us designing policies, in other words, our policy narrative, the kind of policy discourses really need to go beyond economic models. And if you want to also look at economic models, you know, we need to now um, be updated with new economic models like the donut economics, which is, you know, actually the premise um, that resulted in the creation of the 17 SDGs. And that is that even as we look at economic growth, there are boundaries, which is the planetary boundaries because planetary resources are limited. So in the way we craft policies, we must always take that into account. So be regenerative in the way we talked about um, you know, policies. Um, you know, be looking at the circular economy when we talk about um, economic models. But bringing social sciences in means that the way we look at policies for the people we govern um, and we support, um, we must look at not 
ever allowing the humans under our care to go below a certain level of dignified living, right? Because anything under that mm. minimum dignified living standards, and that's all, you know, um, maybe a little bit different for different countries, but we must determine that so we never allow that, um, allow that to happen within the countries or the groups that we govern uh, as policymakers. Anything under that minimum dignified living standards would cause human deprivation. Um, and that's, that's not where we should be in a hundred years. We shouldn't even be there now, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, so yeah, sure. I would, I would say that that's, that's my um, biggest wish for the shift in thinking. And I think I remember always these words from Einstein that we cannot solve the problem or a problem or the problems with the same way of thinking that created the problem or the problems in the first place. So we really need to fundamentally shift our mental models and in this case also our governance models. So th that would be my, my wish. Uh, and if I can, I would also like, you know, and to put in another thing because I had actually gone on. So I'm part of the Climate Force and 2041 Foundations uh, in protecting Antarctica. Uh, cool. So I was part of the expedition uh, in 2018 uh, and I spent, you know, about two weeks in Antarctica um, to study the, um, the effects of climate change on this seventh continent. Um, which is still the only continent that is not owned uh, and not inhabited by humans. Uh, there are some wow. groups there um, that have put themselves there for research and military purposes. But Antarctica is governed by a peace treaty and the longest running peace treaty called their Antarctic Treaty. Uh, and that comes up for negotiation, mm -hmm. Mukul, in 2041. <laughs> And so wow. I will still be around. So will you. Um, so even though I'll be in my 70s, <laughs> I will be in the UN headquarters in New York to make sure that we continue to That's have amazing. this peace treaty that do not allow any country to lay claim at all to this last frontier of this beautiful blue planet. That's our home. Well, this was insightful. Thank you so much, Anthea, for sharing your wisdom, sharing your journey and sharing literally everything so vulnerable and so touched. I actually have to process this conversation after this call. Thank you for being you. And uh, I'm sure the world will be watching you out. I will definitely be watching out your journey and see you create and bloom beautiful wonders of gardens <laughs> that you always do. So thank, thank you for you, being Michael, here. And thank you so much for doing what you're doing with this podcast. And of course, you know, obviously... Um, my friends um, at the Banyan Tree as well uh, for doing the good work so uh, that they're doing and being I so ahead of time. Um, yeah, with um, with the work they do. Yeah, thank you, thank you, um, and 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 love, love and peace to everyone who's listening in. Thank you for tuning in as well.